rubble was cleared from the mine. They were arrested after medical checks, but others were unwilling to come out for fear of being detained. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning. Welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm Brian Curtis. Well, Asian markets are moving solidly higher this morning, showing gains of up to 0.6 to 0.7%. Get to that in a minute. China's banks issue the most credit since 2010. Uh, trust loans are actually cut in half. So that will be good news to some. And President Obama reaches out to help California in its devastating drought. These are among the topics that we'll be looking at this morning on Money for Nothing. I'm directing the Interior Department to use its existing authorities, where appropriate, to give water contractors flexibility to meet their obligations. So we'll hear more from the big fella in just a moment. And we'll also hear some comments from one of the hawks at the Fed, Richard Fisher. Even the Fed cannot upset Mother Nature. Uh, So uh, the economy has been moving in the right direction. And uh, I'm not dissuaded that, from my standpoint, personally speaking, that continuing to taper is, uh, should be altered. He seems to get a little mixed up with his syntax there, but what he's essentially saying is, I am not persuaded to change my stance on tapering. He thinks even with the economy weakening, if indeed that is what is happening, he still thinks the Fed program should be tapered. So we'll hear more from him in a minute. We'll also be speaking with our economics correspondent, Barry Wood, on that and looking at the drought in California. We'll also talk to Wei Gu of The Wall Street Journal about China's trust products and if people are now slightly backing off. And then Matt Reed of Maximal Concepts will be with us to look at the restaurant business here in Hong Kong. The company has just opened a new restaurant called Stockton, and we'll find out what it takes to be competitive here in what is a very competitive restaurant market. Well, let's take a look at these Asian markets as they've opened this morning. The Nikkei up 54 points. Uh, that's a gain of a third of a percent to 14,367. In Australia, the ASX 200 is up 22 points, so just under half a percent. In Seoul, the Kospi is up a little more than half of a percent. So seems very much risk on on this Monday morning. The dollar yen is 101.61. The euro's at 1.37 U.S. dollars. So that's the dollar a little weaker against the euro and also a little weaker against the yen. The pound is now 13 Hong Kong dollars even. Boy, that's a round number too. 13 right on the button. Well, China surprised economists with heavy new credit in January. So that could be good news to some and bad news to others. Will it help the economy or does it add to the challenges of possible defaults and bad loans? The PBOC said over the weekend that lending was 1.32 trillion yuan, the highest level since 2010. But trust loans were only about half the level of a year ago. The data Add to uh, better than forecast trade numbers in terms of suggesting that the economy will not slow down too aggressively. The jump in loans does contrast with some recent warnings from the PBOC. It had warned that bank credit was increasing too rapidly, and it said that we might be in for a period of deleveraging. But this data did comfort some analysts that the restructuring uh, is due to be gradual and not too abrupt uh, in China. Well, on to President Obama. He's been pledging to speed up federal assistance to California. The state is suffering from a severe drought. The drought is threatening agriculture in the number one U.S. farm state. Here's President Obama outlining four steps to help. 
First, we're accelerating $100 million of funds from the farm bill that I signed last week to help ranchers. For example, if their fields have dried up, this is going to help them feed their livestock. Second, last week we announced $20 million to help hard-hit communities, and today we're announcing up to $15 million more for California and other states that are in extreme drought. Third, I'm directing the Interior Department to use its existing authorities, where appropriate, to give water contractors flexibility to meet their obligations. And fourth, I'm directing all federal facilities in California to take immediate steps to curb their water use, including a moratorium on water usage for new non-essential landscaping projects. Mr. Obama drew a connection between what is being called the worst California drought in 100 years and global warming. Well, we'll be introducing uh, Barry Wood, our international economics correspondent, in just a moment. To set up the discussion, let's go back to the Fed Dallas president, Richard Fisher. He wants to continue the Fed's tapering program, even if the U.S. economy is slowing for reasons other than the weather. Uh, Here's a snippet of a chat he had with Bloomberg's Kathleen Hayes. Is the sense now, certainly for you and others, that we're going to continue with the taper regardless because we've done enough? Is that the sense here? That taper has started? That's my sense, and I can only, again, speak for myself. And by the way, I expect the fourth quarter number to be revised downward because it turns out net exports weren't that high. We know that a lot of this has come from inventory activity. If you look at final sales, it's quite disappointing, but better. I mean, you know, slowly, slowly improving, but in the two-plus range. Uh, and uh, I expect the same for the first quarter. But here's the point. What I argue, what's holding back people from committing to CapEx, employing more people and so on, has nothing to do with monetary policy. I defy you to find a business person that says that. Okay, that's a challenge. Find one. What's holding them back is fiscal policy, taxes, regulation, uncertainty. Uh, so there's more of a positive attitude amongst the business leaders that I survey and we survey at the Dallas Fed, not just in this district, by the way. My survey is a national survey. CEOs, big, small, medium, public, private. Uh, it's really, and it, it, none of them will tell you that they need more liquidity. More liquidity. So that is uh, the Dallas Fed President Richard Fisher. And we have with us Barry Wood, RTHK's international economics correspondent, who is <laughs> our man on the ground uh, in uh, the United States. Well, probably not a, a, on the ground, but sitting at his desk. Um, good morning, Barry. Good morning, Brian. Yeah, just ran those numbers from Richard Fisher because it's it's a point that we've made on this program quite a lot that the Fed seems now that it is um, on this course and even weaker economic data may not dissuade them from it. Uh, and that, w- you know, that worried stock investors for a while. But then last week it was, um, you know, time to party. So give us a little yeah. perspective. Well, I think that's very interesting. And that uh, that is a such an important issue because, um, you know, you would think that um, the worries about a taper might uh, send the markets down as it had sometime earlier, certainly back in May-June. But uh, no, I think the market is delighted that the Federal Reserve is going to pull back gradually from this massive stimulus. And too many people are worried about the expansion of the balance sheet and what that means, and that uh, this kind of massive injection of liquidity is sort of like a drug that, uh, you know, you get addicted to it. So the economy has got to operate without that, and I think a lot of people will applaud what uh, Fisher said. 
Well, it does seem that the tapering is on course, and it doesn't seem that they will alter it unless the data does seriously weaken. And everybody does have the bad weather as a possible reason why we saw retail sales weaker, uh, industrial production numbers weren't very good, the two jobs report, etc. Um, when do you think we'll know? When do we get past uh, the weather and we can actually uh, figure out whether the U.S. economy is sputtering or is accelerating? Well, I think, Brian, we probably have to wait until spring, which would be uh, about another six weeks or so, depending on the weather. But uh, to get data back to normal, I think, is going to have to await the, uh, the arrival of spring, because this really has been a severe winter. Uh, as I look out the winter here, in, out, out the window here in Washington, I mean, there's there's uh, six inches of snow here. This is not usual for Washington, and that really has slowed the economy. So when you say, when are we going to get some normal data that the Fed can make some projections? I think they're going to have to wait until the weather improves. And talking about the weather, uh, we know how bad the storms have been on the East Coast. But what about the drought in California? When might that uh, start to show up in higher vegetable prices uh, in the in the supermarket? markets. Yeah, that's very interesting because, as you suggested, California is the breadbasket for so many of these uh, tropical and subtropical fruits, as well as rice and all kinds of other products out in the Central Valley. We certainly have had no impact as yet, and we haven't seen in the financial media much speculation as to what impact and when this impact might arrive. One of the positive things about um, NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement, is that there's a lot of substitution that can take place pretty quickly. So much is grown in Mexico that does replicate what's in the Central Valley of California. Interesting that uh, Mr. Obama is going to be down in Mexico for a NAFTA meeting. But I, I just... Uh, you, you have alerted me to something that I hadn't yet thought about, but so far, no sign of any price increases for those products. Yes, well, we haven't seen really much inflation anywhere in the United States. Uh, even even healthcare costs uh, have moderated a bit, and that's an, another whole separate discussion that I don't want to have now. Um, but uh, speaking of Mexico, it does um, lead us to a little further discussion on emerging markets. I know you know them well. It seems like a consensus with guests that have come on this program is that the emerging markets are okay as long as they don't have a fiscal, uh, a big fiscal and current account deficit. If they if they are not in that camp, and one thinks of northern Asian places like Taiwan, Korea, and um, and a few other countries here, then they're okay. But if they're like Turkey and maybe Indonesia and Brazil, then that's another story. Do you see it uh, th through the same uh, glasses? I do, exactly, Brian. I think that um, it is, as the head of the OECD and as uh, people at the International Monetary Fund like to stress, it is all about appropriate fiscal and monetary policies. And getting those kinds of twin deficits, particularly fiscal and current account, into some kind of balance is so important and making these economies more competitive. I mean, everybody likes floating exchange rates. And by the way, I think the Turks have made a lot of progress over the last week. I think there's progress generally. I think that explains some of the positive outlook and positive performance in stock markets. 
But there is a lot to be said for proper policies. And I think, indeed, this crisis has not spread. In fact, it's it's ameliorated because most of the emerging markets that you that you mentioned, they have indeed been pursuing very similar policies. If you look back to 1997, 98, 99, uh, this is this is so much better. So maybe this thing is now behind us. So we have a holiday coming up. We won't get uh, any Wall Street info for a little bit more time. Uh, do you expect the next week to be, you know, sort of calm like last week and uh, that we'll see gains across global markets? Well, I do. I think I think things are looking uh, pretty good. I think uh, everyone here in Washington looks forward to a rescheduling of Janet Yellen's Senate testimony because the snowstorm canceled her second appearance on Capitol Hill. There's a lot of concern here uh, about what happened in Tennessee, Brian, when Volkswagen's workers uh, voted, what, 720 to 630 to reject the United Auto Workers Union. And that's probably a good sign for United States competitiveness because if the UAW, which is based in Detroit, had gotten into Tennessee, they probably could have gotten to the Japanese and German firms elsewhere in the American South. So that's sort of a sleeper. And I think it's positive. But uh, indeed, I think everything else looks pretty good here. All right, Barry. um, Interesting to hear that. We'll look forward to talking to you again next week on a Monday morning. Thank you. That's Barry Wood, our international economics correspondent. A few other tidbits coming in this morning. Uh, In Japan, nominal GDP rises uh, 0.4% quarter on quarter, uh, but up 0.3% sequentially. And um, looking at this data, we'll we'll see how what sort of impact we might see in uh, markets there coming a bit later. China Merchants Bank saying that its 2013 net rose 14 percent to 51.8 billion. And Shanghai will start a new round of city planning and speed up making up plans for development of rural areas that from China National Radio. Well, the latest PBOC report on lending data suggests that investors are starting to steer away a little bit from trust products. The threat of default looms for some, but with yields or rates of return up around 10 percent, investors are still interested. Joining us to talk about this is Wei Gu of The Wall Street Journal. Wei, good morning. So we sort of thought the discussion might be that, uh, you know, we're getting close to default on several of these. And but but this latest data from the PBOC does suggest that the trust loans, which have been under so much scrutiny because of these uh, default risks, are at about half the level of a year earlier. Does that mean that, you know, less products or fewer products are being issued or that investors are getting savvier and, and steering clear of them? Yeah, I think there are two uh, things happening here. One is investors, because of all the publicity, are becoming more cautious uh, in terms of anything that delivers interest rates that's above 7%. So they're less uh, interested. They're asking more questions about who's really signing this document. Is the bank that I'm buying this from? Or it's the trust company that uh, uh, that really has nothing to do with the bank that I'm trusting. So- so you mean people are actually reading the fine print? Yes, yes. So, yeah, so before everything um, legal-wise in China was kind of seen as just the principle. 
protocol and everything will be negotiated later and the government will have this implicit guarantee and uh, but now people are becoming, becoming a bit more cautious and I thought the other thing going on is the rise of the internet saving products so through Alibaba and Tencent products yes. uh, you get 7% uh, through money market funds that looks like a pretty low risk if you can handle the internet related risks yes but do we know where they are investing the money yeah, they do say, they say it's money market funds and they say these are generally low risk um, instruments and they're not supposed to fall below principle. So your principle is pretty much kind of safe. But they, of course, the fine print, they still say that uh, there is no guarantee that you wouldn't lose any money. Though in the past, the history shows that very unlikely that it will happen. These numbers from the People's Bank of China will be encouraging to some in the market because at least it, it will counter the idea of a rapid slowdown and, and maybe that growth was going to be falling. The export numbers were pretty good. You know, this looks like it will support. But then on the other hand, you have people that will say, well, it just exacerbates the problem of um, too much debt. Um, where does your newspaper uh, editorial board sit on this question? I'm not sure whether we have an editorial board view, but my personal view here is, well, the trust products um, problem has been gradually uh, people getting more cautious and there are more uh, scrutiny about these. Um, overall, the question seems to be whether... Um, well, there is a bit dilemma as well because you can't drastically uh, slow down the or completely do without debt because the economy still need to expand and need to create new job opportunities and etc. So that's really the dilemma and also where people's money is going. So for January uh, M1, which usually measures bank deposits, has been growing at the slowest pace um, for quite a few, quite a long time. So people are asking questions, why is that? Is that because money going out to internet-related products, or people are so, businesses are so pessimistic about the future well, there? I mean, yeah. the, the whole reason that they have bank interest rates at 3%, I guess, is to get money uh, moving, and people are investing it at 7%, as you mentioned, with Alibaba and uh, Tencent and Baidu, I guess. And they're also buying these trust products to get higher percentage rates. Uh, and then that money... Uh, also makes its way into the hands of smaller business owners, does it not? And isn't that, you know, a good thing about this whole shadow banking industry is it, it is funding a lot of smaller uh, businesses that wouldn't otherwise get the money? Yeah, I mean, principle, China wanted to diversify away from banks completely dominate this space. So the shadow banking dispatch the bad name associated with it is another channel for it. And we are seeing more channels, for example, P2P lending. So on the, well, Internet facilitates uh, individuals to lend directly to businesses. And with the, the intermediaries, such as the Internet, taking a less cut than the banks. So all of these are what really China needed. The problem is, of course, these new areas are not really regulated as 
well as banks before, and there is less certain about whether anyone is going to have the um, the the implicit guarantee. Uh, of course, I mean the government shouldn't have implicit guarantee everywhere, but it's a bit unfair that if they have it with SOE banks and not have it uh, with the the others. So it just means um, the other areas, for example, the stock market, the risk premium becoming uh, they are the only risk game in town because everyone thinks that all the other things should be guaranteed by the government. Okay, just a final question. I know you track the habits of the wealthy. Uh, that's your job. Um, go- we have seen gold move up a lot. It was down around eleven seventy-five uh, two months ago. Now thirteen nineteen an ounce, and we hear that um, the imports into China have been strong. Are wealthy people loading up on gold, or or let me ask you this: What are they doing with their money? I haven't heard recently of wealthy people. Yeah, I know data does support that. Strangely, it's coming back. I think after the liquidity, well, when when gold prices were moving too much, um, people kind of steer away from investing in it or even buying normal things. But now it seems to be have stabilized a bit, so people are um, buying. But uh, um, but there are a school of thought of people still thinking that if anything happens in China, uh, well, the yuan looks less under, well, a lot of people actually think the U.S. looks overvalued now, so they're looking for alternatives, and gold is an alternative, and it's safe. Okay, Um, we'll be uh, certainly interested in uh, chatting with you again in a month or so. Um, Thanks very much, Wei. Wei Gu, Wall Street Journal, Asia. This is Money for Nothing. The time is 24 minutes after 8. Well, if I say Stockton, uh, you might think I'm talking about California and back to the drought. But no, it's a new restaurant in Hong Kong. You know, running a restaurant in Hong Kong is no guarantee of any kind of slam dunk success. Real estate costs are high. Um, you know, the expense for uh, employees is is high as well. It's not easy to find people. Uh, a new restaurant and bar called Stockton. Well, these guys have recreated the halcyon days of the 1890s London. That's what the blurb says when life moved at a much slower pace. So joining us now, Matt Reed, the director of Maximal Concepts. Good morning. Good morning. So um, what have you done to create this kind of uh, 1890s feel of London? And could I ask you, if you have your phone on the table, would you mind sticking it in your back pocket? Sure, in the pocket. Yeah. Um, well, to, to, to start with, we felt we actually had to bring back original furniture to recreate it. So we um, we went to the largest flea market in Paris, which is actually the largest in Europe, and we've meticulously sourced original items from that time. So it's got a great feel. It takes you back to 1890s. Uh, does that... You hope that that evokes a sense of calm and that people will be happy to spend more money. Well, it's exactly that. I mean, if you look at this uh, Hong Kong, the city we love, is the one thing that we all do is race at a million miles an hour. And so what's the greatest gift? What is the ultimate decadence? I mean, money isn't that anymore. I mean, of course, we all want that, but it's time. So our thought is that you you, you enter into Stockton and, and time slows. And isn't that a wonderful gift? Okay, so you've got a nice concept. Uh, Hopefully that brings people in. But there are many challenges, as I uh, mentioned at the beginning. What are chief among them? 
I think the ultimate challenge with restaurants here is, as you just rightly said, it's very, very difficult with them because the real estate. And you can dictate your success at the very beginning of a deal purely by the quality of your real estate deal, both length of lease and price. And then it's quality of service, staff. You know, in many ways, our job is management consultancy. We, we have the ultimate challenge of, of inspiring hundreds of people to work every day, six days a week, 12 hours a day on very, very low wages. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's an inspiration game. So you chose uh, almost like an alleyway off of Wyndham Street, right? Correct. So it's a little bit tricky to get to. Um, how do you balance up kind of destination place like that? People almost have to know where it is. Uh, they won't stumble upon it, I would imagine, uh, um, versus, you know, uh, getting a little cheaper rent, you know, since you're there rather than being, you know, up on the high street. I would, it, it, if you want to put it into business sense, it's, it's about control. Um, if you pay top rent and have high traffic, you're consistently month on month paying that cost. If you believe that you can market it without paying that cost, then in, in the long run, you can reduce that cost back. Um, and improve your margins. So it's, 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 whether it's how you choose to approach it's your strategy, I guess. Is it difficult finding staff? I mentioned that, um, it, you know, we've got such low unemployment here um, and people at the lower end, um, can you find them? It's, it's extremely difficult and, 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 it's, and it's very, 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 very competitive. And as soon as, as, soon as your, your, your staff are well-trained, then they're also a premium product that other competitors want as well. So that's extremely difficult. And uh, do you try to pay a premium to keep them or do you just accept that you will have turnover? No, in fact, actually, our philosophy is, of course, we try and pay very well. But our, our philosophy is, is that do you want to have a job that pays you well or do you want to feel like you're on a journey to where you want to get to? So we believe more in offering training, inspiration, um, clear goals and targets with uh, and show the respect of when you say, I'm going to talk with you in three months and change, that the day before that, you've already planned it and it's happening. So it's, I think it's more about respect and journey than just the, the, the paycheck at the end of the month. And in terms of the uh, input, the raw material input, obviously food is the big thing. Uh, are you trying to source locally or does it come in from all over the world? How do you reconcile that? Um, it's very difficult. We, we Our philosophy is to source the best ingredients we can. We try and simplify it. So at Stockton, we have a, a, a lobster salad. The lobster is from Maine. Um, the, obviously, it's, it's, we have to balance the difference between what we can find locally and, and not. Um, it, it, it is a challenge. In Hong Kong, we, we, we live in this rather amazing experience where we basically fly in the best ingredients from everywhere. And, you know, in terms of um, costs, uh, because obviously if you want to get the best, you're going to pay more. Oh, I, I have no idea. I haven't looked at your menu uh, in, term, in terms of costs. But um, how do you control costs? How do you really get a handle on this when you hear about inflation in a place like um, Hong Kong? They don't have it so much in the West, in Europe or in, in the U.S. But we, we have had a problem with inflation here. How do you control it? It, it's, it's, it's difficult. I think that the, the, the I mean, best... Can you hedge? Can you buy out, say, a year down the road? Or do you have that kind of... Uh... The only way you can... You can't hedge, so to speak, but you can use economies of scale. Mm. Um, and that's the best way to go. Is, 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 uh, and certainly we're, we're, as a group now, we're, are capable of, of, of driving that. But, that is, but the other way is also to pass on the knowledge to the customer. If the customer understands the quality of the product, they're happy to pay the price. If you try and fudge it but charge the price, I believe that you lose the legitimacy of what you're doing. So you're not a public company, uh, I, I would imagine, but how have things been going? Uh, you've got a couple of other uh, – what, what are the other restaurants? Um, uh, we, have, we, have a, we have a restaurant called Bu Butcher, which really focuses on yep. meat. 
Um, we have a restaurant called Fish and Meat, which opened recently, um, which focuses on fish. Mm-hmm. Um, we have uh, another little alleyway um, which sells Mexican yeah, food Mexican called food. Brick House. Brick House, yeah. yeah. And, and how, how has business been? Was uh, 2013 a good year? You know, it was it was it was a year of growth for us. I mean, we've we've opened more venues, and 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 we're very proud of what we've achieved. I think we, we we've got further to go. We just want to keep trying really hard, and hope people keep coming to our restaurants. Yeah, things must be doing okay because you've opened you've just opened a, a relatively new restaurant. Stockton opened for what? Just a month now? Yeah, just a month. Yeah. Okay. All right, Matt. Thanks very much for uh, joining. Um, having nothing to do with this interview, I'm going there at lunch today, so I hope it's uh, good, and uh, I will pay my own way. Obviously, this is public radio, so. Thanks very much to Matt Reed, director of Maximal Concepts, and we have been talking about a new restaurant called Stockton. Yeah, markets are higher. It looks like a pretty good day. Green numbers. However, we do see that after those trade numbers came out, Japan down a little bit, down now about one-third of a percent of the other markets up. Weather today, mainly cloudy, misty in the morning. Some sunshine expected during the day. Maximum temperature, 20 degrees. The news with Etienne Lamy-Smith. A bomb explosion has hit a tourist bus in Egypt's Sinai Peninsula, killing at least three South Koreans. An Egyptian driver was also killed and more than 10 people were injured. From Cairo, here's the BBC's Orla Guerin. The South Korean tourists had been sightseeing at an ancient monastery in the Sinai Peninsula. They were about to cross the border into Israel when an explosion ripped through their bus. The fear is this bombing could signal a shift in strategy by al-Qaeda-inspired militants in Sinai. They have carried out a wave of attacks since the overthrow of Egypt's Islamist president, Mohamed Morsi, last July. So far, they have focused on the army and the 